I want to just again join my thanks to the troupe who put on the chanted evening last night. That was an absolutely fabulous event. And uh, so, and also a, a special thanks to, uh, to Chaplain Rick Johnson, who filled in for us last week. And uh, I listened to the podcast. Incidentally, if you don't know that, if you miss a service, you can go on, online and check out the podcast to hear the messages if you miss them. But I had a chance to listen to them, and um, it was just wonderful. His title was, Have You Heard the Call? And it was about Acts 16, 9, where a vision appeared to Paul. And um, it was a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And then Rick asked the question, Where are most people turning to Christ? And the answer wherever the gospel is preached. And you and I have that privilege to share our lives and to share with others. So Kathy and I were in uh, Chicago last week and so glad to come back home. And that weather was right. brutal. Uh, <coughs> but we had, was it what? Yes, and uh, uh, Laura was there with her family and uh, attending a wedding. And so it was cold. But we were there with 1,100 other covenanters. Uh, annually, the covenant meets in the Midwinter Conference. It's our uh, con- uh, really premier continuing education experience for pastors and missionaries and church workers around the country and even around the world. And so Evangelical Covenant Church, what is that? You know what? Let me just give you a little thumbnail sketch here. We are actually a part of a revival missionary pietism movement and it's a recovery of that started in the 17th century religion kind of gotten cold and formal and it was about wherever you were born and the parish you were in and people just came but they weren't really um, connected to God that much and then the winds of revival began to blow and people discovered that wait a minute You've got to have a personal relationship with God. And if you get into the word and the word gets into you, tremendous transformational things happen. And so, so it's not just a doctrinal statement that we sign, but knowing that God loves you. Um, in the covenant, we reject, although it's personal, we reject privatism. God has given us a missional heart. Everybody say a missional heart. Missional. Which means we extend. Take your hands like this. We extend his love to others and touch the person next to you and say, this is a love touch. This is a love touch. This is a love touch. So he's given us a missional heart to extend his love to the world, pursuing Christ and his priorities. So in the covenant, we join God's mission to see more disciples, that's evangelism, and more among more populations, that's diversity, and then in our own community, extending to around the world, in a more just and caring world. And that has to do with compassion, where we meet the needs of hurting people. But we also ask the question, why are they hurting in the first place? And then try to respond to those issues, issues of policy, justice, and so forth. So we've identified five mission priorities that our president, Gary Walter, shares with us. Number one, to start and strengthen churches. Make and deepen disciples. Number three, develop leaders. Number four, love mercy and do justice. And then number five, serve globally. So we have much to be grateful about in the covenant. 
We actually have ex experienced continued growth in the last 20 years. Every year we've grown. In fact, we have doubled in size. We start one new church every two to three weeks. Half of those are among populations of color or intentionally multi-ethnic, making the covenant one of the most diverse denominations in America. It is the mosaic. Many streams of people and cultures coming together to be one in Christ. Everybody say one in Christ. So all around the world, in 40 countries and five continents, the lost are being found, God is being worshipped, churches are being planted, the hungry are being fed, children are learning to read, the sick are being cared for, women and children are being freed from human trafficking, disasters are being responded to, and this is happening because we have decided as a covenant church that we can do more together in fellowship to transform the world. So we are seeing this happen because of our commitment. And you know, when you tithe and when you give, you tithe to the church, it enables us to tithe to the covenant, and then we are part of a transforming movement. So I want to just thank you for your faithfulness, for what you're doing. I mean, last night was just an example about that. Uh, we gathered as a church to make this happen for our teenagers, but more than that, uh, we gathered together. And we worked together. I mean, it was great to just see the joy on people's face showing up early when I came this morning. Vera was so tired. Wait a minute. Vera's still here. She's back in the church. She said, I've been here almost half the night. She just said, oh, I'm so tired. But then her eyes just lit up because when you are a part of something and you're connected, uh, the young people sang and, and, uh, and the skits and the meal, that meal was just Ooh, it was just the whole evening. And what were we doing? We were giving. We're never more like God than when we give and see the impact of our giving in the lives of people. Can I get an amen and amen? amen. So you know what? Actually, this is hard stuff. This is challenging stuff. This is expensive stuff. But I like what Gary Walter, our president, said. He said this. No one said it would be easy, but it would be worth it. It's worth it when we see one young person. You know, um, Amanda last night was sharing about the impact of chicken. She said, I didn't really want to go. I didn't want to be connected with it. And probably her parents pushed her. And she said, I don't want to. When she got there and she heard the testimonies of other 6,000 other young people and the music and the fellowship and how people were doing things to help folks around the world and so on and so on. She came back from that. Not only was she happy to be there, but God spoke to her about her life's work of being a youth pastor, really being committed to God. Listen, friends, it's worth it when we see the life of one person transform, which starts a family, which starts a movement, which starts a generation, which starts and continues the light of God's love in our lives. That deserves another amen. Amen, amen. So thank you for your partnership and thank you for your giving. I'm going to ask the um, ushers to come and receive our offering right now. And, uh, oh, you're not ready for that. Okay, but just come on right now because I think as I've been talking about this and giving, this is our opportunity to give and then we'll get into uh, the message. Father, we thank you that you love us and you care for us. 
And so, Lord, whenever we respond to you, you said give and it shall be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, will it overflow into our lives. For with the way we give, we will receive. And so, Lord, what a joy it is for us to seed into, to give into your kingdom and to see a return happen in the lives of men and women, boys and girls. So, Lord, we receive this offering. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. While they're doing that, I want to uh, just take a moment uh, and share an experience I had at midwinter. Uh, this is uh, Black History Month. Is anybody aware of that? February is always Black History Month. And uh, the reason for that is um, everybody, not just African Americans, but everybody needs to be aware of our history and then to be able to grow from it. One of the exciting things that happened to me at midwinter this year was I got to hear the testimony of Sharon Davis. Three years ago, Sharon retired from her work as a community organizer and developer in Chicago. At the age of 66, God called her to the mission field, and she was ordained as a missionary, 66 years of age, to Cameroon. And she went there, and three years later, as she gave her report, what God has done through her. She went to a remote place where no one had been before, no missionaries. She said, send me to an isolated place where they don't have hardly anything. She went by herself, y'all, by herself. And uh, she took her gifts. Don't despise or diminish the talent and the gifts and your experiences because God uses that. So she worked for 30-something years as a community developer, and she went, and she discovered, you know that adage about if you give a person a fish or teach them, what is it? You give them something to eat, to eat for a day, but if you teach them the fish, they'll eat for a lifetime. So she said, instead of just, instead of raising money and helping feed them, she said, what if I do something that can help them to take care of themselves? So she started a pig fund. And she, when she got there, she discovered that raising pigs was the way those people could support themselves. And so she got together a pig fund. She raised money to engage those villages, not only engage those villages, not only were they able to uh, have uh, clean water, which happened as a result of the covenant being present, but they developed an economic base. After she did that and she got a hearing, then, I don't know how this happened, but she developed a method of telling the story of the gospel message. I think it's something similar to what Sarah is doing in, in learning to tell the story. Anyway, she learned this method and she began to teach other teachers. And by the time she left Cameroon, she had Bible teachers from different, not only her area, but different countries coming to sit at her feet so they could learn how to tell the story in a way that people would receive it and so she is transforming lives by not only sharing the gospel, but sharing her talent in helping people, um, lives be transformed through the sharing of the gospel and economic development. Well, why this is important to me is because about 50 years ago, my uncle, who has gone on to heaven now, uh, was a student at the college that I went to, Niagara Missionary College, and he wanted to be a missionary to Africa. And they told him, you can't do that. 
we won't ordain you, we won't send you because Africans will not, do not respect and do not want to hear from African Americans. And he was so disappointed and turned off by that that he walked away from God for about 45 years in hurt. And at the end of his life, when he was 60, he came back to God and he was telling my father, who was a pastor at the time, how he had wasted his life. But he was so sorry for what had happened. And I'm living today. And so that was the story across America. When African-Americans would try to apply to mission agencies, they were repeatedly told, we won't send you because you won't be received. And then the enterprise told Africans, African-Americans don't care about you. That's why they don't come. The results of racism and information that's false. And I'm living today because Sharon was the first African-American missionary sent by the covenant in Africa. And she, by her example, is starting a missionary movement among African-Americans to go across the world. And I was so excited to hear from her. You know, as we come together in one, we can see God do some miraculous things. Can I get an amen this morning? Amen. amen. So no one said it would be easy, just that it would be worth it. Father, I ask that as we get into your word this morning, that you will continue to speak to us, that we would be transformed by the power of your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've always tried to do the right thing. I really love God. And I was raised to love God, love my family, work hard. And I was taught, if you do those things, everything will work out all right. But you know what? Sometimes you have choices to make. And those choices can be very difficult. And you're not always sure if you made the right decision. So one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 512. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. And I always like that verse because the more favor you have with people, the better your business will be. The more favor you have, the more doors will open for you to advance personally. Because you see, if they like you, they'll buy from you. They'll hire you. Hmm. Now, I'm not perfect. I've made my share of mistakes, but mostly I've lived my life by the book. It said you will bless the righteous and you'll surround them with your favor. And for the most part, now I, I've been righteous. And so when I first saw her, I knew I wanted her as my wife. She was beautiful and a hard worker, very attentive and loving toward her family, respectful. And she was respected and admired for her beauty and her purity. So I approached her parents for marriage and we got engaged. And then a few months after we announced our engagement, she tells me she's pregnant. What? I knew we had been chased, celibate. I mean, I hadn't, you know, you know what I'm saying. So <laughs> she tried to explain it to me. Uh, she said, honey, it's not what you think. She was trying to tell me about the Holy Spirit. It was just like noise coming out of her mouth. I didn't even want to hear that. Up until then, she had been wonderful to me. And like I said, I came from a good family and well-respected. So uh, I wasn't going to disgrace her. You know what? I thought, I'll just call my Uncle Vinny, and he'll take her somewhere and handle it. 
so that she won't be publicly disgraced. But then I had this dream and God spoke to me and called me by name. He said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, Joshua, because he will save his people from their sins. Joshua, the greatest military leader in Jewish history. Boy, this child is destined to do something far beyond everything I ever dreamed up. So Mary was telling me the truth. But I've got to be responsible and raise him right. Fast forward. There would be times when he would be with me in the shop. And, you know, I was training him to be a good carpenter like I was. <laughs> and uh, I would look at him. He'd be working and working on a chair or something. I'd be thinking, I wonder what he's thinking. <laughs> I didn't really talk to him too much about spiritual things. That was his mother did that. But it was my job to just raise him and to guide him. And he was a typical kid, but he was always respectful and obedient to Mary and I. And, and I was led to have him memorize that verse in Psalm 5 that was important to me. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. And in a way, it was a security blanket for me. This kid was going to be used by God perhaps to free our people from the domination of Caesar, who regularly sucked all the life out of our community with his taxes and his powerful army that kept us in bondage. So time passed and Mary and I raised Jesus. He was a normal, inquisitive kid. Even as a youngster, he knew how to ask good questions. We pretty much settled into normal stuff. You know, the annual conference every year, we go up to Jerusalem. It was a highlight trip of the year for the family and our neighbors. And we'd all travel together and do tailgate parties at the various camel stops. Oh, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> but this last trip, something happened. It was strange. I guess Jesus was so intrigued with the temple after his bar mitzvah that he just never left. He was asking questions and also sharing his reflections on the Bible. I hear they were quite impressed with him, and he was quite impressed with them. And we were halfway home before we realized, wait a minute, where is he? He wasn't with any of his cousins, with his friends, any of his neighbors, and we were in a paddock. In fact, the whole party turned around, and we went back, and we're looking for him. Where could he be? And somebody said, well, let's go to the temple. Maybe that's where he is. That's where we left him. Sure enough, we get to the temple, and there he is standing among the teachers asking them questions, and they were asking him questions. The rabbis were astounded by his answers. Mary was so upset, though. She said, how could you do this? We didn't know where you were. How about a note? How about asking for permission? And then he said something that stunned us. Didn't you know I have to be about my father's business? Your father's business? Your father's a carpenter. And by the way, when we get home, he's got orders to fill. <laughs> so don't wander off again like that without telling us. Jesus responded and said, yes, mom. Yes, dad. And we returned home. Stand with me as we read our verse for the year. Luke 2, 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. The word of God for the people of God. Praise God. 
Now turn to two people before you take your seat and say, get ready, get ready, get ready. So we're talking about favor this morning. It's one of the most overlooked words in the Bible. We use the term modern day vernacular. You know, hey, would you do me a favor? <laughs> that means I, something I don't deserve, but would you do it for me anyway? But the word favor can change your life. The word has multiple meanings. In the Old Testament, it means grace, charm, acceptance, goodwill, or desire. In the New Testament, it's from the Greek word charis. This is where we get our word for grace. It's where we get our word for gifts of the Holy Spirit, charismata. Other New Testament meanings, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, and loveliness. Now, favor is different from grace, although it comes from the same root word, because grace is undeserved. It's unmerited favor. The Bible, then, is full of examples about instruction about how we can how we can obtain favor and so i'm going to spend some time during this season talking about favor now we're not going to cover it all today but there are specific avenues to obtain god's favor uh, watching being in the presence of god seeing how god works waiting having patience praying keeping his commands walking in kindness and truth Good understanding produces favor. Finding a good wife uh, produces favor. Suffering produces favor. We'll talk about that next week. But all of these things produce favor. But there are three fundamental requirements. Now catch this. If you're in a position in your life where you need favor, you need God to open a door for you, for a job or for a relationship or for something significant in your life, and you really sense that it's God that has to make a way for this, uh, there are three things that are fundamental and primary, and we're going to come back to these three things. Number one, total unconditional surrender. Total unconditional surrender. Let's say that together. Total unconditional surrender. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Total unconditional surrender brings us to the place where God can give us favor. Secondly, absolute purity. Psalm 51.10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now, let me just dive, take a little rabbit trail here. I want to speak to the men first. I'm going to speak to the women second, but first I want to speak to the men. All the men in the house say, amen, amen. amen, amen. That was weak, but okay, I'll take it. <laughs> Psalm 119.9 says this, how can a young man keep his way pure? Why does the Bible ask that question about how can a young man, a man, keep his way pure? Because <laughs> we are not naturally pure. We're not. We are prone to wander, 
prone to go to places, prone to go to dark places. And so the Bible is asking a very practical lesson because if you want favor, the necessity for absolute purity is there. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> Pornography. Pornography is the cancer that is ripping apart marriages, families, individuals, and it's in the church and outside of the church. It's a scourge, and we don't talk about it. But how can a young man keep his way pure? Well, the answer is right here. How? By living according to the word of God. It is the word of God seated in our minds, getting into our hearts, that propels the change that we need to be pure in heart. Pure in heart, the word of God. Now, let me just uh, speak to the women. Ladies, say amen, amen. Ooh, <laughs> very good, ladies. Uh, brothers, you have to catch up with that. Brother, let me hear the men say amen, amen. Amen, amen. Okay, okay, I feel the power here now. First Timothy 2.8 says this. Therefore, I want, and, and this is to the women now, but listen, notice this verse. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety. Now, men are highly visual creatures. We are moved and impacted by what we see. A man can have a tough day at work, can be bullied, can be tired, can be worn out, can have an accident, almost die, be badly injured, but at the sight of a lovely woman, boom, like a microwave oven. Because men are motivated by what they see. Notice in this verse, the injunction and the encouragement is for women to dress modestly. But notice how the verse starts. It starts with men. Men lift up holy hands. Now, when our hands are lifted up, our eyes and our hearts are lifted up toward God. So we have a responsibility, men, knowing that we are impacted by what we see to have our minds directed upward. Amen, men? Amen. Amen. So now, but it says, ladies, dress modestly with decency and propriety. Uh, women are turned on by what they feel and how they are cared for. So understanding how men are made and the impact you have on men, the Bible says, on the women's side, dress modestly with decency and propriety. What does that mean? Well, it means different things to different women. I'm not talking about coming up with a set of laws about uh, what you wear and what you don't wear. I'm talking about a heart response. I've, I've seen many women do this in discussions with men. They'll say something like this. Uh, the eyes, please. Look up here toward the eyes. Well, this is a natural response. But ladies, if most of your stuff is out. It's hard to look up here at the eyes. And so it is that we have to be responsible to each other so we can help one another walk in purity. Can everybody say amen, amen? amen. Okay, so that was just a little detour I was taking. 
So in order to receive the favor of God, we have to be totally committed. We've got to walk in purity. And number three, there must be kingdom thinking, having the mind of Christ, having the mind of Christ. Let's say that together. Having the mind of Christ. Ah, let this mind be in you, Philippians 2.5 says, which was also in Christ Jesus. Asking the question of ourselves, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would he do? I had an experience happen to me last night. It was, I, um, right before the event, Kathy and I were getting ready to leave, and very kindly, she manages our resources, so very kindly, she said, I know that you don't have any money, so here's $20, put it in your wallet, because I know you don't like to walk around with nothing. So I said, okay. So I took the $20. I didn't put it in my wallet. I put it in my pants. That was my first mistake. <laughs> so when we got to the event last night, I sat down, and the $20 fell on the floor. So one of Glenda's wonderful sons uh, tapped me on the shoulder and said, Pastor, you dropped this $20 on the floor. Now, what would Jesus do in this situation when you've seen that somebody lost something? I mean, the natural thing is to say, your loss, my gain. But that's not what Jesus would do. He would serve the situation. And so he picked it up, and he tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, Pastor, did you drop this? And I said, yes, I dropped it. I was so, so thankful. <laughs> then later on, the same young man, one of the ladies was uh, uh, picking up uh, a glass from the table to clear it, and it dropped on the floor, and it broke. And there was this big, loud crash, crash. And he jumped up, and I watched him. He jumped up, and she was a... Uh, uh, I think it was Carolyn was on the floor. She was kind of trying to clean. He, he said, let me help you. And he, he was on his knees and he was picking stuff up and he helped her back to the place. What an attitude of service. What a desire to help. You know, we live in a selfish world where it's all about me and how I can do for myself. But the mind of Jesus says, not what's in it for me, but what can I do for you? How can I serve you? And you see, God smiles at that. You see, when we have a total commitment to God, when we have commitment to purity, when we are saying, Lord, I need your mind. My mind is generally, naturally moved towards selfish, but I know that if I have this mind, let this mind be in you. If the mind of Christ in me, if I'm walking the way Christ wants me to walk, if I'm talking the way Christ wants me to talk, if my attitude reflects not what I need, what I want, but what God will be blessed by, then I can experience your favor. Am I preaching this morning? Hallelujah. Thank you. I got three amens up there. <laughs> so let me, <laughs> let me give you three examples from the Bible of principles of favor. Principle number one, we experience God's favor when we give, everybody say give, the best of our best to God. We experience God's favor when we give the best of our best to God. Genesis 4, 3 and 4. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Now, this is Cain and Abel, Adam's first two sons. Notice the description of Cain's gift and Abel's gift. Abel kept the flocks, Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. 
And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So we know what happened after that, the first murder in the Bible. But it was because he gave, Cain did, but it was just some. Wasn't the best of his best. But what did Abel do? He gave the fat portions of the first fruits of what he had. God looks at that and he smiles at that. You know, when we go big with God, give the best of our best, we find favor with God. You know a phrase you should never use with God or with anybody? Never with your employer? Never with your children? Never with those you are responsible for? Two? That's good enough. That's good enough. No, friends, it's not good enough. If you're a student, well, I got to see that's good enough. No, it's not good enough. Well, you cleaned up the room, but there's still stuff in the corners and on the floor. No, that's not good enough. Not good enough. We give the best. We do the best. God smiles on it when we give the best of the best. Can I get an amen this morning again? Amen. Mm. Secondly, we experience God's favor when we study God's character and get to know his ways. Exodus thirty three thirteen. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. One of our newest uh, visitors, uh, guests, Jeff and Sandy. Jeff's here this morning. We had the pre-Super Bowl potluck party, I guess it was, and I was getting to know her and we were talking. We had a great conversation. And she said, I was asking her how she met Jeff, and I was asking her some other questions about her life. And she started telling me, she said, you know, I have had a lot of hurt in my life. I've had a lot of disappointment. I've had some abuse. I had things that have hurt me deeply. But she said, you know one thing? I've discovered about Jesus and his character that's a really attractive to me. And she said, the, I don't know if it's the first time she said I read this, but she said, I'm really impacted by Jesus' words on the cross. When he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. She said, that was stunning to me, that God's character is forgiveness. And even though I've been hurt and run over and abused and stepped on at times, I have discovered that when I embrace forgiveness and let it go, it gives me a freedom and a joy that I've never had before because I'm able to forgive. And the more I study that, the more I study forgiveness and how it works, the richer I am, the freer I am, the more joy in my life when I can forgive and let it go. Everybody say forgive and let it go. Now say it one more time and just blow it away. Forgive and let it go. Forgive and let it go. <sighs> yes. It's God's character. It's not naturally my character. My character, I remember one time I, I took one of the deacons, and I thought about trying it right here one time, but I was, I wanted to demonstrate one, I asked him to come up front, and then when he came next to me, uh, 
And he's somebody that I led to Christ, so he was a disciple of mine. But as soon as he got close to me, I pushed him as hard as I could. Boom! You know, <laughs> I could see the look on his face. He, he went. You push me, I'm going to push you back. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. That's our natural inclination, to hurt back. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. When we study God's character and we learn who he is and how he encourages us to live, there's great freedom in that. And guess what? God looks down with favor. Thirdly, we experience God's favor when we walk in, everybody say, obedience. Ah, if you follow Leviticus 26, if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, look at what God says he'll do. I will send you rain in its season and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruits. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest and the grape harvest will continue until planting and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. And then verse 9, I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will keep your covenant with you. River 47, that is the word of the Lord to us. We have gone through some deep stuff, some deep hurts, but God has promised that if we obey his commands, if we are committed, totally 100% committed to the Lord, if we walk in purity, if we discover what it means to have the mind of Christ, that God said, I'll look on you with favor and I'll increase your numbers. For 2014, I declare unto you, River 47, that the harvest is coming. He is broadening our tents as we reach out and love people, as we grow in grace. Everybody say, grow in grace. Ah, oh, we'll experience the favor of God. Well, what does this favor look like as I move into the final uh, portion here? To have the peculiar signature of God or honor or cherishing value placed on you so that when he sees you, there is a special value he has for you. In other words, God really likes you. Mm. You see, when he likes you, there's such an influence that comes upon you that the charisma of God himself rubs off on you and makes other people like you <laughs> and follow you and open themselves up to you whether they like you or not. Early in my ministry, when I was on Young Life staff working in Seattle, um, I'm, our family made a decision that while our children were in school, I would be the primary wage earner. So money was scarce. Vacations were almost non-existent. In fact, our vacations were what we would call busman holidays. <laughs> uh, Young Life would send me to one of their resorts to be a, a speaker or a worker there for a month, and I'd take the family with me. It was work for me, but it was a vacation for them. So that's how I was able to bless them with a vacation. But anyway, I was sharing our vision and sharing our ministry at an event, and a gentleman and his wife came up to me after and said, hey, may I talk to you? So I said, yes. And he said, uh, my wife and I talked this over, and we have a beautiful home that's on the bank of the river. It's on the west side of Seattle on one of the islands. And actually, it's on the river, and it looks over at the city of Seattle. You can see the, the uh, what is that? No, no. It's the 
the Space Needle. You can see the Space Needle and the skyline and say, it's a beautiful place. And he said, God spoke to us, and whenever you need to get away, we want you to have our home. In fact, we want you to have it for a week uh, at no cost to you. All you need to do is call us a week ahead of time. We will move out of our home and move into a motel for that week while you and your family come. I went, what? He said, yes. And we did. We did it several times. Friends, that's God's favor. When God likes you, he'll like you if you're totally committed. He'll like you if you walk in purity. He'll like you if you exhibit the mind of Christ. When God likes you, he will release his favor on you. And so all of this about favor is just an introduction. And I want to encourage us to go after the favor of the Lord in church, in the marketplace, in the education system, in government, and go after it with those three things. We'll come back to them. Total surrender, absolute purity, kingdom thinking, having the mind of Christ. I'm going to close with these three verses and we're going to have a prayer. Psalm 512, for surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30, verse 6 and 7. Now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. So I ask you this question. Do you want to grow? That's our theme for the year, growing. And Jesus grew in wisdom, wisdom, knowledge, information, but also how to apply that knowledge and information. He grew in stature, physically. He grew emotionally. He grew in his relationship. And then he grew in favor. You want to grow from where you are to a place of greater effectiveness, greater blessing, greater accomplishments, greater satisfaction, because you are being the you that he created you to be. Jesus grew. Remember what that old commercial, I don't know how long ago it was, but it also always made me laugh. I think it was about Cheerios or one of the cereals. And this kid is sitting down, and they open the box, and they pour it out, and he puts some milk in it, and then he tests it, and he eats it, and this big smile comes across his face. And they all the family says, Mikey likes it. Oh, the life cereal? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Mikey likes it. See, that was a test. If Mikey likes it, it's good. You see, if God likes you, you're good. He releases his favor. He release, releases his favor to those who are totally surrendered, who make a commitment to walk in purity and have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you like us when you do like us, we pass the test. 
people will follow and give automatically. And we'll be blessed and become a blessing. As our heads are bowed, we make a commitment to you. Maybe uh, we don't have favor. I guess this is really a direct question. Are you missing favor in your life? Perhaps it's because you've never surrendered your life to Jesus in total commitment. In the quietness of this moment, just say to the Lord, Lord, I just have been kind of just doing my own thing and sometime in, sometime out, but Lord, I want to be committed to you. I want your favor. Jesus, today I commit myself to you, lock, stock, barrel, the whole thing. I want you to be Lord of my life. So our heads about, if that's your prayer, I'd like to pray a special prayer for you. Just lift your hand, let me know that you're praying that prayer right now, that you're praying that. Yes. Yes. Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Lord, you know where we are at. Or maybe, you know, maybe we have our fire insurance. We know we're going to heaven, but there's certain parts of our life that we just haven't given up control. Lord Jesus, we need your favor, the wonderful experience of your blessing. And so we choose to say yes to your will and yes to your way. If that's your prayer this morning, so that you can grow in grace, grow in knowledge, grow in blessing. Would you just lift your hands? I'd like to include you in my prayer. Yes. Yes. Father, we thank you that we can trust you. We take that step of faith. That as we yield, your transformational power will flow into our lives and we be the people that you created us to be. So Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen.